Many questions down through the years have uh, puzzled the minds of great thinkers and great philosophers. Who are we? What is our purpose? Why are we here? Where have we come from? And perhaps the most perplexing question of all, why are there so few gingers in the world? That's a very perplexing question. We only make up 2% of the world's population. But don't worry, I've been assured by the scholars of Google that even though we are few in number, we will not go extinct. Something in the genes, apparently. But all joking aside, perhaps we see that the greatest question that one could ask is found here in John chapter 18. We've already mentioned that in this chapter we see that Jesus was brought before the high priest Caiaphas. He's questioned by him and then he sends Jesus over to Pilate to face Roman judgment and Roman sentence. After Pilate prods Jesus with multiple questions, he in a sense finishes off his encounter with Christ with a very flippant response. Jesus said in verse 37, Thou sayest that I am a king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then Pilate responds with that all-important question. What is truth? What is truth? Clearly, Pilate, I don't think, realized the significance of the question that he asked because it is a most important question for every one of us to ask this evening. And not just for us to ask, but it's important that every one of us know the answer to this question. What is truth? And so that is the question that I want us to consider tonight. What is truth? It is one of life's most crucial questions. And there are many different groups in society today that will try and give you every different version of their truth. Or perhaps they'll even try to deny that truth exists entirely. But as St. Augustine once said, all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And so with that in mind, let us consider for a brief time this evening some gospel truths. First of all, I want you to see that there is the foundation of truth. The foundation of truth. In John 17, just back a chapter, we see Christ in his great high priestly prayer. He prays in John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Whatever God speaks is truth. Because he is the source of of all truth. The scriptures alone are where we find truth. The Bible isn't true because I as a licentiate minister tell you that it's true. The Bible isn't true because the Free Presbyterian Church affirms that it's true. The Bible isn't true because it's the best-selling book in this world. No, the Bible is true because it is God's word. It's not the word of man. It's God's word. And as 2 Timothy 3.15 puts it, it is breathed or inspired by the very God of heaven himself. The Bible is true simply because God is true. <laughs> David said in 2 Samuel 7 verse 28, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true. Thy words be true. And therefore, since all truth flows from God... And his words are revealed to us in scripture. Then we know that we can only find a 100% reliable source of truth 
here within the pages of Holy Scripture. And this is so foundational, I really want you to understand that this evening. That if you miss this, then the rest of what we'll think about tonight will have no bearing on you, will have no effect on you. If you miss the fact that the Bible is true, that it is the only source of truth, it is the key to knowing truth, then you'll miss it all. And so we ask the question, well, what, what does that word truth mean here in the Bible? Well, it's the Greek word aletheia. And it's a word that literally means that which cannot be hidden. That which cannot be hidden. It conveys to us the idea that truth is open. It's there, it's visible to be seen. And that aligns with many of the philosophical definitions. You'll find if you put in the search, what is truth, into Google, you'll find lots of different articles, lots of different responses to the question. But one of the main definitions that comes up when you ask, what is truth? A definition of truth. It is that which corresponds with reality. That which corresponds with reality. It is what is. Very simply. If you look around you, there are pews here in this building. You can see the piano and the organ here up at the front. There's a pulpit here. Out, if you were to go into the foyer, there's a table with literature on it. That is truth. It is what is. It's that which is plainly visible, easily seen. And the same can be said of truth. It's plainly visible in the scriptures. It's revealed to us in the scriptures. And if the Bible is not true, if, it, if it's wrong and it cannot be believed, well then our foundations are destroyed. The foundations of truth that we have are completely gone. We have no faith, we have no hope, we have no rules. Psalm 11 verse 3 says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If we lose the foundational truth of the Bible, there's nothing we can do. We cannot come up with anything wise in and of ourselves. If the Bible is not absolute truth, then there is no absolute truth. Because any other theory that we will come up with as human beings will be so far short of what is true and what the truth is. You know, there are many different parts of society today that will try and give you different definitions of the truth. Relativism says that all truth is relative. And there is no such thing as absolute truth. But then one has to ask the question, is the truth that all truths are relative, a relative truth or an absolute truth? Skepticism, it doubts all claims of truth. But I wonder, are skeptics, are, are skeptics ever skeptic of, of skepticism? I mean, that's a tongue twister. You try to say that one yourself. Are skeptics ever skeptic of skepticism? Of their belief system. Agnostics, they say that we can't know the truth, but yet they hold to that one truth, that the truth cannot be known. Pluralism, that's so popular in our culture today. It states that all truth claims are equally valid, equally true. However, this goes against the very fundamental and basic principle of logic. That is the law of non-contradiction. States that something cannot be true and not true at the very same time. You cannot say, and, and this is just an example that I'm using because my, my wife and I are expecting now in January, but you cannot say that the baby weighs eight pounds and at the same time it does not weigh eight pounds. It just contradicts each other. Those two statements. 
And the spirit behind pluralism, it's a spirit of tolerance. But however, it goes against the very basic laws of logic. A philosopher put it like this, pluralism is desirable and tolerable only in areas and matters of taste rather than truth. Pluralism only works in matters of taste rather than truth. I like jambons in the morning. I like to get a wee jambon before I go into work. It sets me up for the day. You might not like a jambon for work. That's a matter of taste. It's not truth. And so this leaves us with one conclusion. One conclusion alone. There is absolute truth. And the absolute truth is that God is truth. And therefore, God being truth, whatever he says, whatever he reveals to us, is absolute truth. And we have recorded for us the very word of God. Truth. Plainly visible for us to see. He has revealed it to us so that we might know God's absolute truth. And so we see the foundation of truth. It is the scriptures alone. That which God has revealed to us. Secondly, I want you to think about our fall from truth. Not only the foundation of truth, but our fall from truth. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, we read there, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. This is how so many people are deceived today. Nowadays, people don't like being told that they are wrong. Generally, People don't like being told that they are wrong or what they are doing is wrong. It's okay today to say that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Everyone's happy with that. But when it is claimed that all other answers other than 4 are wrong, that is when people begin to throw claims of being and accusations of being narrow-minded. Some will claim that it is arrogant to say something that is false. But is it arrogant for a maths teacher to insist that there is only one right answer to an arithmetic problem? I'm sure you teachers in here are saying, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Sometimes people just don't get it. There's only one right answer in certain maths problems. Or is it arrogant for a locksmith to say that there's only one key that will open a locked door? No. And I wonder tonight as you're gathered in here do you believe that it is narrow-minded that we cannot know truth? To say that we cannot know truth apart from God. Do you believe that it is arrogant for the preacher from the pulpit to state that if you have never sinned in your life, then you're lying. You're a liar. And you're not speaking the truth. Because my friend God himself says that if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. We're lying to ourselves. And the truth isn't in you. Because the truth is that we have been corrupted and killed by sin. Every one of us. doesn't matter who it is. Me standing in the pulpit, you sitting in the pew, anyone listening in at home. We have all been corrupted and killed by sin. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead. Unable to do anything. Sin has killed you spiritually. And one day it will kill you physically. It came into the world and into your life from the very moment that you were born. Psalm 51. Behold, I was shaven in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. 
Every one of us has this problem. Every one of us was born in sin. And every one of us has fallen from the truth. And you may ask, well, well, why did that happen? Why did sin come into the world and affect us all? Well, it was because we disobeyed God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God's command. And as by one man, sin entered into the world. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. R.C. Sproul, he said of this act that it was cosmic treason against God. In fact, he described sin itself as cosmic treason against God. God formed the world in Genesis chapter 1. He made all of the splendors that we see today. He made you and I. He formed Adam and Eve. Perfect. He breathed into them the breath of life. He gave them everything that they could ever need. And what did they do? They disobeyed his command. They chose instead to do that which seemed right in their own eyes. They willfully disobeyed God. People are still doing this today. I wonder, do you realize that that is what your sin is? Cosmic treason against God. He has formed you. He has fashioned you, the Bible says, in your own mother's womb. He has given you the breath of life. He gives to you his common grace, the good things that you enjoy in this life. But when you sin, do you realize that you're committing treason against the all-powerful God? I'm sure that you all know what the punishment of treason is. It's death. We think of what many people will be remembering today, the 5th of November. If you can remember the rhyme, you're doing better than I can. Remember, remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason and plot. And then it goes on and on. Speaks about Guy Fox. Guy Fawkes' aim was to blow up Westminster, to, to take out the king, to commit treason. And for that treason, he was sentenced to execution, death. Treason carries with it a most weighty punishment, the punishment of death. And this is why the Sanhedrin sent Jesus across to Pilate. Did you notice the question that really fascinated Pilate here in chapter 18? He first of all asked it in verse 33 there. He says there, Art thou the king of the Jews? This is the question that fascinated Pilate. He said in verse 33, Art thou the king of the Jews? And then he continues on there into verse 37. Art thou a king then? He wanted an answer to this question. And then we go on down to the end of the chapter and we see that when he's presenting Jesus before the people, he says, will ye therefore that I release to you the king of the Jews? If Jesus was claiming to be king, then he would be guilty of treason. Treason is the act of betraying one's country, especially in attempting to overthrow the sovereign of that land or usurp the sovereign of a land. And so the Sanhedrin were hoping that the Roman government would pass this sentence on Jesus. Pass this sentence of treason. That he would be found guilty and sentenced to death. But what I want you to understand is this. If treason against earthly monarchs and sovereigns carries this weighty punishment of death. How much greater is the act of committing treason. Cosmic treason as Sproul said. Against a thrice holy God. 
against the one who has created us, formed everything in this world, against the supremely sovereign God of heaven, who fashioned and formed each of us. How much greater is that treason? When we sin, we are attempting to overthrow God's authority and assert that we are the truth and not God. And this is why I want you to understand, as some of the Puritans called it, the sinfulness of sin. How great our sin is before God. And how much judgment we are heaping on our own heads by continuing in sin. Do you realize how much you have fallen from the truth? If you say that you have the truth, if you say that we have no sin, then we're deceived. And the truth is not in us. Do we realize how much we have fallen from the truth? And how we need someone to bring us back into a relationship and bring us back to the fountainhead of all truth. That is our fall from truth. Thirdly, think with me for a moment. The fool of truth. The fool of truth. John chapter 8, just back a, a good number of pages there in John's Gospel. John 8, verse verse 44. John 8, verse 44. Speaks here of the fool of truth. It says here about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. And booed not in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie. He speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And this verse clearly shows us that the devil is the enemy of truth. From the very beginning, back in the Garden of Eden, we think of how he was the father of lies. Came to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He twisted God's words. He began, hath God said, you shall not surely die. As we would say in Northern Ireland, he was, just, he was lying through his teeth. God had said that in the day they ate, they would surely die. God had promised that in the day that Adam and Eve ate of that tree, that there would be consequences and the consequence would be death. But the devil's tactic from the very beginning was to lie, to get man, to get woman today to believe his lies. Adolf Hitler was a man who learned to use the lie effectively. He once said, if you tell a big enough lie and tell it frequently enough, it will be believed. If you tell a big enough lie and you tell it frequently, it will be believed. And that has been Satan's tactic throughout history. If you ever look into the history of the church, you will see time and time again, heresy creeps into the church. Is opposed to the truth of God. The devil is active in seeking to bring error into his church. And ancient heresies are still around today. They're just under different names. Under different guises. That is why, child of God, we must know the truth. Because it is truth. We must know the word of God because it is truth. And knowing that truth will help us to recognize that which is error. That which is wrong. And those lies that the devil would seek to teach us. There are many lies that the devil will try and get us to believe. 
Thomas Brooks, he was a Puritan back in the 1600s, and he wrote a, a book entitled Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in that book, he outlines certain different devices that the devil uses to undermine the truth of God. These devices are, in essence, they're, they're lies that he seeks to tell us and wants to get us to believe. First of all, he says, and I'm only going to mention five of them here in passing. First of all, he presents, that is, the devil presents the golden cup, but he hides the poison. He shows sin to be sweet. He shows sin to be pleasurable. But he hides the horrible hook, the shame, the wrath that would follow after we commit sin. He says that the devil paints sin with virtuous colors. Shows it to be a good thing. Pride, it's just neatness and cleanliness. Covetousness is just good husbandry. Drunkenness is just good fellowship, good fun. The devil lessens sin. If you'll only partake in a little bit of pride, in a little bit of worldliness, in a little bit of drunkenness, in a little bit of lust, then you can commit a little bit of sin, but your soul will live. The devil presents great men in their sin. Well, they did it. Why can't you? He shows you the adultery of David, the impatience of Job, the drunkenness of Noah, the blasphemy of Peter, all while hiding their tears and their repentance and agonies over those sins. And the last one I want to present to you is that the devil presents God as one that has made up all of mercy. You don't need to worry about sin. You don't need to fear your sin or fear about your sin because God will forgive you. God will be merciful no matter what you do. So sin all you want and have your fill of it. God is merciful. There are so many lies that the devil will spew out only if you will think less of sin and the sin you commit against God. And these are the lies that he tells in opposition to the truth. The truth is that sin is poisonous. Sin leads to death. Sin is not virtuous, it is evil and immoral. Sin is not a little thing, it is, as we've considered already, cosmic treason against God. Great men in the Bible did sin, yes, but they recognized their sin as offending their God in heaven. And they repented of it. And God is a God of mercy, that is true. But though his mercy be lasting, it is not everlasting. Genesis 6 verse 3, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And so please, realize that the devil, he is the opponent of truth. There is no truth in him. He is the father of all lies and he is the foe of truth. Finally, I would like us to consider the fulfillment of truth. The fulfillment of truth because we find that in John 14 verse 6. Very, very well-known words. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ himself is the fulfillment of truth. He is the embodiment of truth. Earlier on in John's Gospel, in chapter 1, he says in verse 14 that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
And then in verse 17, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He is the very fulfillment, the very epitome of truth. But you know the sad thing? Today the world hates truth. The world at large hates truth. And because of that, they hate Jesus. Because he is the truth. It's okay to say that Jesus is a truth or a way of salvation or a saviour from sin. But when we say that Jesus Christ is the truth, the only way and the only saviour from sin, that's a different conversation. The people back in Jesus' time, they hear it, the truth too. So much so that they condemned the truth to the cross. They forced the truth to take cruel lashings from Roman soldiers until his back was as furrows. They forced the truth to carry his cross up to the road to Calvary. And there on Calvary, they nailed the truth to the cross. Why? Because they hated the truth. There on the cross, as the truth was nailed to it, truth suffered for our sins. He bore the full weight of God's wrath against sin. The full weight of God's wrath against you. Christ bore it. The truth bore it on the cross. And there on the cross the truth cried out, it is finished. A bitter cup, love drank it up. And on the third day after he was buried, the truth rose again. And today he is sitting at the right hand of God. And one day the truth will come again as he said he would. Although this time he is not coming as a babe in Bethlehem. But he is coming as the judge of the earth. And he will judge in perfect and complete truth. Because he is truth. And so please answer me this question. Answer in your own heart tonight. Do you know the truth? Do you know Jesus? That is the most important question that we could ask you. Do you know the truth? Pilate asked that all important question. What is truth? He never even realised that the truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus Christ was right there. Tonight, my friend, do you realize that Jesus is once more being offered to you? The truth is once more being offered to you. His salvation is being offered to you. He purchased it once for all on the cross. That salvation is being offered to you once again. He is the only real truth. And he is offered to you. What will you do with him? John 8 verse 32 says, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Knowing Christ as our Saviour, accepting Christ as your Saviour, gives you freedom. Gives you wonderful freedom from sin, from bondage. But do you know the truth tonight? Do you know Jesus Christ? What will you do with the truth? Answer that question. What will you do 
with Jesus.